Welcome to the Analytics Eye for an AI podcast. I am your host, Laura Adele. Um, I'm the Chief Data Scientist here at Microsoft, working on really cool projects around sustainability and some advanced manufacturing use cases. And today I am so excited to introduce you to Chandra Brown, who is the CEO of MXD. MXD, I'll give you my two simpler about it, is one of the coolest businesses because it is taking manufacturing technology to a whole new level. And they're the ones who are basically enabling it for everyone in the States. And so I will hand it over to Chandra to, to explain to us a little bit about MXD and what she does for MXD today. Chandra. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Laura. It is awesome to be here. I've been so excited about doing this podcast because I could talk about manufacturing all day long. <laughs> I am incredibly proud, as you said, to be the CEO at MXD. What I love about it is it's a public-private partnership. It's a nonprofit. So we bring together the best and the brightest from academics, from the industry, whether it's the tiniest companies and startups and small businesses, all the way to the huge multinationals like the Microsofts and the Boeings, you know, of the world. And so when you bring all these great minds together, along with the U.S. government, the U.S. Department of Defense, FDA. So we bring these three groups together, government, industry, academia, community partnerships, and we're all coming together to try to solve problems, right, that are too big for any one company to solve. Right. And that's what I'm passionate about, and specifically in the advanced manufacturing space. So whether it's AI, right, whether it's blockchain, whether it's augmented reality, whether it's even using World War II equipment, right? And how do you digitize that? And how do you get the data out of it to make this world a better place? So everything from kind of the big to the little. And yeah. I would also say we're also the National Center for Cybersecurity Manufacturing. So yeah, I know you know this better than when we talk about data, but then we got to educate people on how they're protecting all this huge amounts of data that are out there. So I love my job. I get to work with diverse people every day, all to advance manufacturing in the United States. And it's a great job. <laughs> you know, your background and reminding me of just the cybersecurity um, walkthrough I did. So what you guys see in the background here is the shop floor innovation space of MXD. So for somebody that's a tinkerer like me um, to go in and to be able to touch buttons, and I know I'm simplifying this. I mean, trust me, I'm a data scientist, but to be able to have the tactile feel of engaging with, here's how a process, system runs here are the qa and the checks and balances and quality things that happen so that as a, a layman or somebody who's coming in there for the first time i can see a process end to end was an amazingly it was a visceral experience that i loved tell me a bit about how you guys came up with this this shop floor idea and what it's done for you since you've launched it yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I'm a manufacturer at heart. That's what I've done before. Metal manufacturing. I built boats and bridges. And I said that in your bio. That was really yeah. cool, actually. We have to touch on that, definitely. <laughs> well, and so I, you know, manufacture just exactly as you said, Laura, you embodied it. People walk in and especially manufacturing, we like to touch it feel it, right? Walk on it, push the buttons. And here I am running this digital manufacturing institute, right? And so I had to, we had to find a way to make digital come alive. Yeah. Like what we show on our floor behind me is really the art of the possible. Like I said, we have World War II um, old machinery, and then we have cutting edge, right? The latest and greatest 5G, you know, on our floor that you can test with a whole <laughs> cyber wall. So 
I don't want these small businesses to have to be hacked. We'll hack us and we'll show you like the problems that come with it, right? right. So I really think that's the importance of this space and the bringing all of our partners together to really show a story, the story of a digital thread and how it works that you can walk through this floor. And I hope ideas spark and things come alive for you, you know, when you do it. <laughs> well, firstly, I think, you know, since the, the first time I was there, I came back and raised all sorts of, we have so many cool opportunities, Microsoft, that we need to jump into. I was so excited and a funny side story. So your, your vice president gave me a token that gets printed. It's this metal token. I was at an Airbnb over the holidays and they had an air hockey table and I'm like, great. Well, there was no puck. And I'm like, I have the token. <laughs> and so the token that I got on the shop floor saved the day and it actually worked very, very well. So uh, side note, the tokens that you provide in the walk that can also act as an air hockey puck. Hey, Laura, can I add one funny thing to that story? Someone else came and told me recently, oh, I loved that token, which we're demonstrating. You can track all this data on this one little piece that we make you know, behind me on the floor. They're using it as a shot glass holder, <laughs> like a little... <laughs> Their first shot glasses. I was like, wow, okay, that's creative. Again, this is what's great about this. Oh, no, that is amazing. I so I loved it. I remember I was asking Veragina, I was like, I really wanted to pocket it, but then I'm like, no, we're a partner. I'm not gonna steal stuff here. So I'm like, Veragino, can I keep this? I thought maybe it was just and he was like, Of course you can. I actually am so proud of that because it enables me as a data scientist to tell stories to people in a very, you know, and it may not, you know, in a virtual environment, you're like, Well, how do you do that? And so I tell the story of my experience there of where you could be a very small manufacturer an additive manufacturer somebody getting into the business and feel overwhelmed by it well large large pieces of equipment and i can't afford that the reality is like you said with world war ii equipment all the way to the modern that's what i learned that day is that you don't have to have multi-million billion dollar pieces of equipment to have a smart intelligent secure shop floor um is this part of the vision that you've learned over your career in in starting with boats i mean tell me a bit about how how you, you landed in manufacturing because frankly you're a bit of a unicorn when I learned about you and I, it was what made me drawn so drawn to you is like this is a woman CEO who I love listening to who is engaging how did she get into manufacturing so tell me a bit about the start of your career yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, I'll be a good example on how, let me be very clear, Laura, I did not start out, I am going to be a manufacturing CEO. That that never crossed my mind. So the fact that I'm here today Love is, that. is shocking. No, and that's going to be really important to my listeners, because I'm sure they're thinking like, well, I'm never going to be a CEO. And so I think that's going to be a beautiful story, if you wouldn't mind sharing it with us. Absolutely. Like I, I initially, I think wanted to be a librarian, right? No. And I, I have a couple, like, this is not funny. No, um, I love libraries. I have, a, a, I was just going through microfiche the other day, trying to explain to my son what microfiche was. And it was like, I couldn't find the way to show him how this was my only tool. <laughs> He's like, just go to the Google mom. <laughs> yeah. It's, so true. I love books so much. You know, I always thought that'd be, I thought you got to just read all day long surrounded by books. Obviously that's not quite what librarians do, but you know, I, um, and I started out again, great story. Really. Um, I was in Chicago. I was born on the South side of Chicago, but I've moved around. I, I love diversity. I moved actually to the West coast. I got it in my twenties. I got my MBA. I think I'm going to be in business, probably international business. And I love international travel. 
I pack up a U-Haul, I move to Portland, Oregon. You know, this is way back when it was like really cool to do, you know. You <laughs> like your I, own. So you packed up on your own and just went out west. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I knew one person, one person okay. in the city Very of Portland. Very brave. Okay. Uh, but I fell in love with it because I also love nature, mountains, where it was so different from the Midwest, right? Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted change. Let's embrace change. And I had like no contacts, no job contacts in my early 20s. And I uh, basically um, started looking around and I started temping as I was trying to figure out my big job, like maybe with a Nike, right? Or someone like out in, out in the West Coast mm. and no connections. And basically make a very long story short, I started out as a temp and I worked my way up to CEO. Um, so this can be done for uh, people. And I didn't know at the time how much I loved manufacturing. Okay. I hadn't had as much exposure. Same with most like women and other minority groups. Um, yeah. You know, they don't know, they don't see it, right? right. They don't do it. So, so how did temp- you get exposed to it? What was the first job? Was it the temp job that was in a manufacturing? Okay. Well, I should say no, no, actually, because again, I think this is an important point. Thank you for asking that question. That was the first time I was really hands-on, like I wanted to learn how to weld, and I thought that was what I was doing, do all this other cool stuff, but actually, to be fair, I was first exposed to it through my family on the south side. My grandfather, who's still alive at 99 in in the south side of Chicago, amazing man. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. His 95th birthday present, you'll love this, was like a riding lawnmower because he was tired of the push mower. Like, so it's just- oh, By this point in life, I think that was maybe a good gift he can have. You've earned it. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> so it does tell you a little bit about our background. Like I have, I, I love, like, so I was taught that the trades are respected. My grandfather went to World War II, obviously, and served. And, but he worked, you know, in the Chicago Steel Companies um, in, in the area. And so- I was always taught that that's not a bad thing. Like I know a lot of people, you know, want to their children to get, you know, degrees and become doctors and lawyers. And, you know, I was from an early age, I knew that working with your hands was a good thing too. I mean, I respect, you know, I consider woodworkers and welders, they're artists, they're craftspeople. Like what they do is amazing. And I think we need to take some time to recognize like how great that is. And that the other big thing, Laura, why I love what I do is because that's the path to the middle class. Like my family didn't grow up wealthy on the South side of Chicago. You know, my dad went to college on the GI bill after Vietnam. So, you know, the reality is, I think we have to look at the things I love about manufacturing. You can have an incredible, you know, career, raise a family, even now it's still like, And you like AI. So, I mean, people maybe think, oh, it's manufacturing. Well, I don't get to now do cool technology. Well, that is another myth I think is out there. And that's what MXD, that's what you do. Um, And so if you had to like take your experience and look back at it and say, okay, so first I heard bravery when I heard you just picked up and moved. I did that from Miami to Seattle. I knew nobody um, when I, when I, that was my first, you know, my first career out of college, but, and it was terrifying. But in that time path, you know, I worked at Apple, I worked at Expedia. had a lot of struggles you know it it was not a smooth sailing trip to get to where I am today did you have a lot of you know uh, people coming you you can't do manufacturing you know this is a mindset that I've dealt in tech a ton that they would meet me and I'd have my I call it the L Wood syndrome like I have pink fluffy pens they're like you can't be a data scientist like that just that they couldn't put that into their brain that 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 somebody could like fluffy pink glittery things and also be a rock star at math had, did, did you have any of that in your career path early on, you know, really breaking down those walls and, and letting them know, see me as Chandra, see my brain, don't see just because of my gender. 
Oh yeah, I, you know, I don't know how anyone yeah, doesn't have some of that, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Again, we're still working on that, right? Right. Um, oh no, definitely. And I tell this to people all the time, like giving kind of um, credits to, to let's say, um, privileged older white men. Right. I don't know if that was diplomatic enough or not, but let's just be able to call a spade a spade. Um, Thank you. I'm you a know. very direct person, so I, I don't know either. <laughs> I think that sounds just fine. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the reality is I was the only woman, you know, in the manufacturing space. And it was, this was uh, Oregon Ironworks. Then we became, you know, a subset. We kicked out United Streetcar, building American-made streetcars, right? And so, you know, heavy metal, bridges, boats, like this is not a, you know, union shop. Like there just wasn't a lot of women in the manufacturing space. And I have to, I give a lot of credit to the men that I worked with and the male leadership. There was no women leadership. There was no mentor. There was no, you know, but nothing. they saw something in me and they were my allies, if you will. And I tell this to people all the time in these male dominated areas, there often are, they say, look to the women, there may be no women. And then you have to find the male allies that are right. not going to hold me back, that are going to recognize talent and uplift it. And they promoted me, think about it from the top, like promoted, 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 promoted. I mean, I did the work, but the reality is they were the ones that ultimately, you know, let me rise and saw something in me. And that's how I got where I am. So I always give credit, you know. Um, to, a really to, powerful point that I don't think in all of the interviews that we've done that we've actually talked touched on in that yes we're in these male dominated industries but what that actually means is that a male had to then take you and see something in you to that and that's a pretty profound point that those allies do exist what would you say is the thing that somebody should look for if they are you know experiencing that in their career what are those qualities in a male ally that they should seek out for that mentorship leadership you know to work with yeah well I think the the first step always what they need to seek is how, um, you know, kind of how creative are they? How that entrepreneur spirit, you know, that we like to talk about, like, are they able to think outside the box, you know? And, and okay. honestly, manufacturing as a whole is a little bit more conservative from that standpoint. You know, it's not seen as, even though it is, as you know, very cutting edge and incredible mm. things to your point are being done. But the reality is you have to find someone who is willing to embrace change, who, you know, I would be asking, like, do they even realize they're in a revolution right now? You know, we talk about industry 4.0, like, does this leadership, can they see that? So, you know, I look to people that are, you know, open-minded, uh, do they have other people surrounding them? Like we talk about the importance of diversity around you, look to the people in your organization that have diversity around them and on their teams and prioritize mm -hmm. it. That's the, the starting place, right? Where I would go to find like, and look at some of these allies and talk to them and see, hey, will you help sponsor me? Hey, will you help mentor me, you know, and move forward? That's what How I How did you for. ask them? Like, what was the, you know, a lot of people will say, I can't ask them. And I'll be like, why? You know, people are people. You know, at the time I was being mentored by who was now the CEO of Zillow, Rich Barton, while I was at Expedia and he was the CEO there. And we just happened to sit near each other and it just happened to turn out the way it did that he became who he was. So I was very blessed to have that. But I remember in the beginning, he was still the CEO of Expedia. So for me, being as young as I was, I just said, hey, would you mind if I, you know, I'll do my homework. I remember being so nervous. Like I'll do my homework and I'll never waste your time. But would you mind maybe once or twice a year, I sat down with you and ran through some career planning and sort of showed you my progress and got some cues on where I should go. And, you know, I remember rambling all this and he was looking at me like, 
Wow. You don't stop. You had me at like the first word. Yes, I will. And so I always tell people, just ask. The worst thing they can say is no. And that's hard. But what would you say, you know, if, if they have to go up and, and, and ask somebody to be their sponsor, would you agree that they should just come out and ask? Or is there a process that you went through in your learning that you could recommend? No, I wish there was, you know, a magic uh, process, because uh, I love process, as you know. Exactly. It's a token that you can play air hockey with, <laughs> but that also is the magic process. Unfortunately, exactly. not there yet. No, we're not there. I, I would echo your advice. It's the same. Like, you have to ask. I mean, and I always, the other advice I give people is, you know, it's all about empathy. Like, try to put yourself in their shoes, right? So if you really want a busy CEO to be your mentor, and again, I mentor lots of people right now, a lot of women I'm currently mentoring, because that's part of what we need to do to give back, right? But, um, you know, okay. they put yourself in their shoes, like be ready to go. What's your ask? Like, what do you want to get from them? How can they help you? Like you did, you know, make it easy on them, but you must ask, you know, yeah. like every, you know, and I'm flattered. I'm flattered every time someone asks me to be a mentor, I'm flattered. It doesn't mean Are I can do them all. And when I say well, no, ask the other thing I would say, make sure you ask that person. So yeah, I put myself in their shoes. Who else could it be? Like if I'm already mentoring 10 people, I can't take on any more, right? But that doesn't mean I don't want to help you. So maybe there's someone else and look at That's other people in your company, in your role that you could say, well, now that I know your interest, maybe you should try X, Y, or Z person or say, I recommended you talk to so-and-so, which is another help because always good if someone can recommend you a lead into a person. No, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, I, I, I actually am going to start doing that because I too feel, I feel terrible when I have to say no, but I've realized that in my time, I can't do even what I want to do with those I am mentoring. If I continue just to say yes, because I want to help all these different sort of unique cases, but having a recommendation certainly is a great, um, you know, way to say, I'm not just saying no, because that's what a lot of people that listen to this will say is like, well, they'll just say no, they'll, they talk themselves out of it. But if you can then say, but I, I have this great recommendation that I think will work well with you. And I've already given that, you know, that call in, if you will. I think that's, that's actually a really good piece of advice. Um, I love learning. This is why I love this podcast. Cause a, I'm learning from you on how you do stuff period. So hearing that you mentor, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Cause I thought maybe by the time you get to a certain level, even myself, that you, you don't have time. You're a CEO. Um, and well, to that point, let me ask you like, well, just real quick, what do you do? Like, what is your morning process? I know a bunch of people ahead of time when I did a poll said like, how does she get ready in the morning? I'm like, probably the same way you do, but I'll ask, you know, so do you have any special process that gets you revved for the day and, you know, to, to make sure that you're ready to roll uh, as a CEO for your day? That's so funny. Cause I think I probably won't give the same answer to most people. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't have so much of a process. I have to be honest, but um, I'm one of those rare cases. Like I roll out ready to go. And to me, the most precious thing, it's like kind of the dichotomy here. I love sleep. Like everybody knows, like I, I think sleep is probably the most underrated thing. And, you know, for those of us that are busy and I'm a night person, I stay up really late. I'm thinking, thinking I have to turn my brain off. So I have a lot of turn off processes, less about the getting up processes, actually more about the turning off. Um, so when I get up, I'm like very much ready, but I will sleep as long as I can. Like, I really prefer not to have something have to wake me up, you know, that if we could wake mm -hmm. up naturally, that's such a wonderful thing that if you get enough sleep that you can do that, right? 
So um, I'm very much about sleep as much. So that means my routine is very tight. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when I go, only because I'm sleeping, like I'm not one of those people, like I know a lot of my friends, they get up like two hours early, they have their coffee, they read the paper. Uh, I am not that person. Not I am rolling either. out. I can put this makeup on in three minutes flat. I am out the door. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, I love that. I I'm the same way. I'm a night person. I do all, most of my coding, I run algorithms at night. It's when I get the sort of clearest mindset because I'm not being pinged by emails and stuff all day long. Um, But the mornings are like my sort of precious time to not bug me unless I need to be. Like, I don't want, people used to put meetings on at 6 a.m. And I'm like, unless this is Satya coming down saying we need to have this, like, no, I'm, (laughs) so how do you set your own boundaries to make sure people know this is my times of availability? Yeah, this is something I think everybody struggles with. And again, I, I mean, I want to be clear, I share my struggles too. you know, time management and how we do it. It's, it's tough. You know, I really like to lead by example for my team and for others. That's that's one of my um, philosophies. And so that means like on my calendar, I'll, I'll use an example We're we're super great at MXD, you know, obviously the team, your people are the most important things. We have complete hybrid, you know, kind of complete flexibility. Um, and so for things like I take vacations, I believe travel is super important. I love international travel in particular, you know, whether it's going on a safari, whether it's meeting different cultures, it's important to me. So on my calendar, people will see, you know, blocks of time, like I'm going on vacation at this time, you know, and of course, if there's an emergency, as you said, something happens, you could be disturbed, but you know, they know that. And I think it leads them like, like it's okay. We're, we're now piloting a four day work week at MXD. And so I wanted to be part of the pilot. So I'm working Monday through Thursday. You're going to love this. So I think how hard this is. So like on Friday, I'm not in the office. I'm not supposed to be working. And again, I am practicing this. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm trying to be like, no, I'm not going to do that on Friday. No, I'm not going to do that big interview that day. No, like, and so that gives other people, we as leaders have to give them the space, right? To be able to know that that's okay. And that that's not only okay, it's acceptable. And it's, you know, being shown. So that's where like, so Fridays, I've tried to really protect that space, let's say. And then, you know, you just work your 20 hours the rest of the, the other four days, right? Um, so that's what I'm saying. It's not, I'm not good necessarily. No, but you're modeling a behavior. And I think that's so critical because I think a lot of the the, the generation that's coming into the workplace right now, they are, they're of a mindset where they speak their mind. And I love that. And they have very strong beliefs and they, and they fight for them in ways in which I didn't feel as comfortable to do when I was first starting out in my career. Career. And so one of the things that my team will say to me is, I love that you mirror the behaviors you expect from us. So you're not just saying, hey, we have five health days. I'm actually taking my mental health days too that Microsoft gave us so that they feel the room that, because otherwise you're right. People are like, oh, I can't take the time. I'm new on the team. You know, there's a host of things that you tell yourself. So I love that that was your, how you launched into that is that you model the behavior first and foremost, that you're not perfect, but Yeah. Exactly. And I'll tell you one other great, um, just like little technique that, that I've been doing and learning because I have such an incredibly um, high productive team. And, you know, we're, we're smaller. So, I mean, I've, you know, roughly 50 people at MXD. And again, we're very Really? Much that's like, it? I, yeah. You guys operate like you have like a huge, oh my I gosh, know. that's even more remarkable knowing the stuff that you guys are doing. Wow. <laughs> 
It's incredible. Well, we have tons of wonderful partners like yourself and others. There's lots of other people, you know, on the in in the in our ecosystem, right? That I and love. And so have so, amazing employees. I mean, I, I know you probably think we say that to everybody, but I mean, I truly and Berardino knows this. I that's their VP, by the way. I love working with you guys because you have a group of employees that are leaning in in ways that you don't often see on such a large scale. And maybe it's because it's 50, so they all know to work with each other and rely on each other in a beautiful, trusting way and, and that's why I enjoy MXD so much yeah it's so I, I I my team again I know we all say that same thing but yeah I've done run a lot of businesses right like been a lot of it this is like the best you know I've worked with and again talk about modeling even your own my board of a manufacturing institute right majority women um and that you know Jackie Wright obviously Jackie is Wright. on my board mm -hmm. she's fantastic and a lot of emphasis on, you know, minority and diversity, my senior leadership team, majority female, like I wanted to prove to people that manufacturing may be male dominated, and it is still, but I'm going to again model the behavior I want to see, which is that we need this diverse workforce, especially with what we're doing on this kind of cutting edge area. No, it's no. amazing. I mean, you just so I had a 14 year old girl on the show that came to me through LinkedIn to tell me a story of a really sad story, actually, that her best friend had committed suicide and she was wanting to build a model so that she could pick up if bullying was happening because that's what had happened to her friend. And her friend had posted a note on Twitter right before and nobody caught it. So she was like, I'm going to be the change. I can you help me learn data science enough so I can write this model. And I mean, I was like, of course, I will find time. And this 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 girl woman to be inspires me immensely she not only took the the feedback and lessons but she went then and went to facebook and twitter to fight why aren't you doing more she she's canadian she went to her canadian school system and said can i create a program where if people are in need or help they can call anonymously and get help at the student level i mean talk about being the change and so when i see her at 14 and then i hear how you're setting up and making sure you're not just saying you have diversity and wanting to believe but you're showing your leadership chain is diverse I see this beautiful blend of worlds coming together that gives, I mean, I'm in, I literally have goosebumps. It's inspiring to me to know that there are CEOs like you who really walk the walk. And I, I too am blessed having Jackie in my chain. I mean, I look at my president as a female, my skip Jackie, my boss, all are women. And, and that in, in my career has never happened. And, and so to hear that you guys in manufacturing have set it up that way, that is a beautiful testament to you walking that walk, Chandra, it really is. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're very proud of it. That's another thing I tell people, like, again, another, these are like minor little advice I give to some of your listeners is, you know, if you go to the mxdusa.org uh, website, we put photos up too, because, you know, it's not just about the name of the thing. I want them to see, like, because, you know, again, we always talk about, especially for women, sometimes you need to see it to be it, right? Like, go look at the photos, the photos of the team, the photos of the board, right? Like, I also want to show, you know, people even, even that way, like on a website, like so simple, right? But yeah. I think that's another critical thing. And, and I'm, I've been spending a lot of my time working on getting more women on boards and, you know, private boards and other things. Because again, as a CEO, that's an area that hopefully I can influence on like people to look at, oh. look at the boards, because, you know, look where it comes from the top, you know, mingling all throughout the organizations, especially on these smaller, you know, kind of the medium size too, and some of the smaller that one of my roles is like, if I get on a board, I want to hopefully replace myself with at least two to three others. Like that's one of the goals when we go on there, if I'm the only women, woman on a board, for example. So I think those are other areas we can be helpful in. 
how do you, so what, for listeners who are like, what's a bore? What, what is this thing now? I, I want it, you know, you know, that it's funny. People will hear something that's mentioned and then be like, okay, how do I now plan to get that in my career? So what exactly are these boards that you're mentioning? And, and if people are wanting to have maybe even people farther in their careers are like, yes, I've been wanting to get on a board seat. Do you have any recommendation for both? A, what is the board and then how others can maybe get on board seats if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something I'm working on. So again, like I'm a work in progress. And I will tell you, that's a little bit how hard it is to get on a board, (laughs) like a paid board, I should say. So one, what are boards? The board of directors on most companies are kind of what are setting, you know, your company culture, the overall direction they have, you know, whether it's the finance, whether it's your sustainability and growth, you know, all that the board is kind of your, your thought leaders for where the direction, the strategic direction of an organization. So we should start there to kind of define what they do. Okay. And so that trickles down, you know, the CEO normally reports to the board or senior leadership, right? And then that goes throughout the whole, however big or small you are, that will be filtered down, right? So there are what I recommend to women in particular, because it's hard, the majority of boards are male, huge percentage. And what's funny is I love data, right? You're going to love this as the data side. If you go look, there's been some studies done recently that looked at Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, and the ones with the more diverse boards, it's not just about women here, of course, it's diversity across the underrepresented groups. Um, The ones that were more diverse actually had a better ROI, like better returns. Like, so it's where your money is. Like, and, you know, women are the greatest consumers. We are the purchasers globally. We so are. again, like, and this is not about like, don't even do it because it's like the right thing to do, which it is. Right. So <laughs> you can do it because it actually, the companies perform better. So and look at the, data. at the end of the day, like, okay, it comes down to dollars and cents now. And now that's, you know, yes, it's the right thing to do that we know. But now you've like, I didn't know that, that the ROI is is higher and greater for those companies. It makes sense to me. I always like to say that, you know, my, my you know, life partner, he cannot, I, if he's on one track, he stays on that track until he finishes, then we go to the next. I am not that. I am, I hear him here. I'm working here. I know that something else is going on here. And I'm planning like the email that I'm typing and I can do it all. I just, I'm a multitasker that way. And so I think that's one of the reasons why women contribute so greatly to leadership roles is their ability to just, you know, I, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a gender thing. I don't know if it's not a me thing, but I just know that it has lended me well to, to being able to manage teams, to being able to see and grow and do other things. Would you say that, you know, what if you had to boil down, you know, one of your greatest traits that you believe intrinsically about yourself, um, whether you learn from a Myers-Briggs personality test or your love language, what would you say is the one thing about Chandra that really is your motivating drive, your thing that makes you successful? if you had to distill it down. Wow. Okay. That's a hard question, Laura. <laughs> I love throwing out the heart. Oh my Lord. I can tell you from my third party, having just met you, having heard so much about you that, you know, outside looking in, your energy is infectious. Like I'm not even in a room with you, but I feel like if I was that you are that personality that people gravitate towards, like there's a light around you that you want to talk to them. It's just that there's an energy that you feel from an outside in. I would think that would be a superpower that you probably know you have, but it's, it's pretty infectious. And, and it's, it's making this conversation enjoyable for me because of it. Yeah, I would definitely, I mean, if I had to pick, I guess, yeah, it's, it's so hard to, you know, self-analyze, but passion, you know, and I think um, um, a realist, a, a realism around the passion is mm-hmm. really some of my strengths. Like I'm passionate, but it's always grounded, right? Like I, I think, 
you know, grounded passion, exactly. Not passion, you know, even just for the sake of passion, like passion for kind of what is the greater good. And I love like inspiring. Like I said, there's nothing that, you know, makes me happier, me more charged than, you know, sharing kind of the vision and bringing more people along with you. I think it's why I love international travel so much and exposure to different things that, you know, not just curiosity, but the perspective on how we are working together, you know, in this greater mm -hmm. world and, and this planet that we need to take care of. So it's just, yeah, so interesting. I appreciate it. I would probably say, yeah, passion, but, you know, a grounded passion, a grounded um, passion. is, is my super strength. Because should run amok is not great in a workplace because you can really drive people crazy if you have this idea exactly. and that idea and that, and, you know, the passion's beautiful, but you have to be able to ground it in a way that drives it forward because otherwise you're not moving the needle. You're not helping the greater good. So tell me a trip that you went on recently or your, one of your favorite trips. You know, you, you've mentioned this a few times. I love international travel too. Um, so I'm curious what, tell me a place you've gone to that um, where you found the people, the culture so surprisingly rewarding that you weren't expecting when you got there. Absolutely. It's funny because I'm doing like a fundraiser right now for an anti-poaching initiative out of in Kenya while well, in Africa. And I would say, of, I mean, I've, I've been to, I don't know how many countries, well over 40 or something. I, I've been wow. a lot of places. I, when I used to work for um, President Obama, I traveled the world as the deputy. Oh yeah, by the way, she worked for President Obama. I meant to say that in the intro like that. I didn't want to drop that as the initial one, but yes, she worked in the past. Which is yeah, no, no. But I mean, it was just the job. I, I was traveling to different countries promoting U.S. manufacturing and working on trade issues. So I traveled all over the world, right? Like lots of different countries, lots of different opportunities. But where I've gone back to multiple times, I, I'm a huge, I love animals, a huge um, thing on safari. And I believe, you know, the endangerment and the loss of plant and animal life um, that are going extinct is one of the world's greatest travesties because it does affect every person, you know, here. So it's just, this is top of mind for me. It's funny. No, uh, no, I would love to have your information about this because I'm hearing it. So Malawi is one of my favorite places and I, I'm a big fan of just all over Africa for almost the same reason. So hearing that this is something that you're working on, please send me the information because it's such a beautiful thing when you go to a place and you are, you know, welcome into a culture and community that has by vision so much less than you as what I thought. And what I learned is they had so much more because all the noise of materialism in, and that it's, it wasn't there. There was just this beauty of innovation and culture and how they were moving their own society along for the betterment of the Malawian people that, you know, some people be like, oh, cause they have no little, I'm like, no, you, you can say that, but everybody has what they have and it's how you utilize it. It's grounded passion. It's those things that come together that make communities, companies, people whole and better. And that to me was what was so beautiful. So hearing that you have a passion play for, you know, this yeah, the, beautiful. <laughs> But you know, it's funny, the other thing I loved about it, like, you know, exactly as you said, going out in these, you know, tents and, you know, you're on safari and you're in the middle of nowhere, there's no roads, like the, the, the right. rangers are just roaming around, finding the lions and giraffes. And, you know. <laughs> and so it's, and I was in, the, my favorite one was in the Maasai with, um, with the Maasai in Kenya. I've, I've done safaris all over Africa and they're all great in their own way, but I really appreciated um, Kenya because I was with Maasai guides. So locals, you know, they have spears. They have, like, I mean, like, yeah, very yeah. wonderful. And their community was just so amazing. And what I liked when I first got off the plane, even on my first trip to Africa, and I felt this way too in Asia, but it just, it was more moving to me again, being in a mm -hmm. probably less materialistic, as you said, all those things. 
but the minority, like a blonde woman, you know, I've had this happen a lot of places now. When you go overseas, it's when I truly can be an even a double minority, you know, you oh, stand out. I'm in a crowd and people want to take their picture with you, or they're like, oh, really? know, wow, like when you go really remote, they're they don't see you and they think everyone, it's funny, they think everyone like is in the movies and <laughs> stuff like it's oh, so funny, the perception. <laughs> and it, it gives me perception how I can look back on how the US is perceived, how are we perceived? in a very different, so I kind of, it was uncomfortable a little bit, but also good for me. Like we need to be put ourselves, if I we want do. to develop empathy, I'm trying to develop and work in, work in progress, right? That's one of the ways you can do it. So, and then finally for me, it was the, the, the honestly death and like, you know, animals killing other animals, like the circle of life, like people, so many people are not, I know people on farms and other things are exposed to this, but so many people, including women, I, mean, I was born in Chicago, right? Right. So when I go out, you know, there to rural and you see, and you think, oh, it's so sad that little baby got eaten, you know, and you're like, well, the lion needs to live too, you know, even though that little exactly. baby zebra is adorable, right? Exactly. Um, so it's just, I also, that reminds me again, that's that realism, right? The grounded side of the pack is that this is what's behind it. It isn't all this, oh, it's beautiful, you know, photographed animals. It's there's blood, there's there's smells, there's flies, there, you know. There's so a I lot like of that. other things. I embrace that. No, I love that because it's it's an interesting, the circle of life is one of those things that I was I traveled with somebody who was an anti, they were a vegan and they had so like this reaction. I'm like, well, what were you expecting when we came on here? Maybe I didn't do a great job setting expectations. And so, but, uh, uh, you know, it's what gave me empathy even to her, needs and challenges as we were there. But I think it's neat, Chandra, that you have embraced, you know, your career and your opportunities and taken risks. And, you know, I, I think, you know, just as we close out here and thinking through, you know, you've worked for governments, you've helped, you know, influence presidents, you are now driving the future of manufacturing. What is the one piece of advice you could give yourself you know, starting out that, you know, now, what would you tell your younger self um, that, you know, you could tell the younger listeners now listening, but what would you tell young Chandra Brown as she's starting her career, maybe to do something different or something you've learned along the way that you'd like to know earlier? Hmm. Now for me, it was to speak up. Don't be shy, you know? So hey. is there anything that like that you've learned in your career that you'd love to have told yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think the probably one of the more important things, you know, I wish I had told myself is um, not, not just to take more risks, but to, to be uh, more open to opportunities as they come. So to be a little bit more um, embracing of what comes your way. So, you know, I mean, I think we're both, you know, really smart. I mean, I, like I said, I'm grounded. I'm realist. I can multitask and do lots of things, but I usually have a plan. I have a path, you know, and I would have never been here with you today if I hadn't, you know, packed up and moved across the country, took a temp job at manufacturing. Like this would have not have happened most likely, you know, it wasn't my targeted plan. So like, the analogy of when windows open, when windows open, I'm not saying every time you have to jump out that window, but you better be looking out the window, open that window, look, explore it. So again, very concrete example, when people get job offers and stuff, even if you don't want the job, I always say, go interview, you know, it's good practice for one. And like, you'll learn a lot of things. It doesn't mean you want to do it. It doesn't, but it's good for, you know, you to see what else is out there, you know, travel, do these things like, so Absolutely. And I wish I would have, I traveled a lot, but I wish I would have, again, traveled maybe even earlier or, you know, exposed myself in more uncomfortable situations earlier, kind of to your points, which will teach you how to speak up and how to, 
you know, right. more comfortable doing that. So I always tell people like, don't, everything is an opportunity. The person you're next to in a, like a restaurant, the one person at the grocery store, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, always be looking to, and, and how you can help others will really help you help yourself. That's really actually quite beautiful. I, I, you know, it, it, risk taking is one of those things that, you know, you don't always feel comfortable doing. Um, and so do you ever, I guess my last, I said that was my last question and I like real last question. Do you ever feel imposter syndrome? And then I know we have to go. Do you have you, you know, now, are you at a place where you're like, nope, I got this. I know my game. I, or do you ever still walk in a room and have that moment of, the, the impact, you know, that self-doubt or the voice that sometimes we hear in our head, does that still affect you now that you're a CEO? It does. Nope. I still have imposter syndrome. So again, I guess that's the sad news for everyone. Even when you get to a CEO and don't get me wrong, I feel damn good. I am an expert in like 20 topics and I will rock that out in any exactly. way. So I feel very confident. Like I am confident, but you know, think about what I do, like with cutting edge technology, I'm not the expert on the latest crypto blockchain XYZ, right? So there's no way, like sometimes I walk into a super technical room and, you know, you're with these, let's say a bunch of Dave scientists and incredible people and I'm like, oh boy, I'm not sure I'm even following what they're talking about. Um, you know, so even for myself, I'm not an expert in everything. So there's gotta be, there's places where I walk in and again, I'm just curious. So sometimes I feel like, am I supposed to be in this room with all these like brilliance, you know, but you know, I, I know I do feel the one good thing I will tell you as hope for all your listeners, as you, you know, grow and experience and things is that mm. you do get a lot more confidence in, in the areas of your expertise. Like I will walk in any boardroom or anything and like, feel, I know what I know. Right. What um, I feel too. Yeah. But no, I think, and just to round it out, I think what is so beautiful and how in your honesty is that the reality is you're a rock star. Like I've heard you speak, but doesn't matter. We will all as people have moments and it's not a gender thing. It could be anybody where we walk, I mean, walk in a room and feel like, am I supposed to be here? But I think you said that you hit the nail on the head. You are endlessly curious. And so that curiosity, I think is what you sort of at a core, if you're feeling that and listening to that and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get over imposter syndrome. The reality is you're going to become so confident in your space and that the honesty of the reality of life is we're all going to go through that. I had it when I was pregnant because my doctor was wearing Manolo Blonde and my legs were the size of sausages that I wish I could have gotten in those shoes. And I was like, I don't want to be in this room with you, doctor. So that's the reality of life. And I will leave the podcast there. So very, very grateful. And thank you, Chandra, for being on the podcast today. And thank you for the listeners for listening in and tuning in and look forward to the next session we have in about a week. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Join us again next time when we will be back with more tips, techniques, and cheats to achieve the rewards that you deserve. Thank you so much for your time today. And please set your podcatcher so that you never, ever miss us. Bye for now. And thanks so much for listening.